Man, aren't you grateful for the worship the band brought us this morning? I tell you what, that was, that was awesome. And you're, you're, it's like you're the sole member of the band at the moment. <laughs> there we go. You know, folks, I was, I was, you know, from glorious day to that old hymn that we love. And you know, I was just reminded, you know, ultimately the answer to every prayer is heaven. We long so much for this world, but this world does not ultimately hold the answer. It's in heaven and God's provided that for us. Isn't that good news? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And gosh, to go, that's so happy. And now we start with a series called It's Complicated. Really? Let's just stick with the happy, huh? But we are in a series called It's Complicated because, boy, on our way to heaven, we have really, we've made this life pretty stressful and complicated. That's certainly true of the world that we lived in. We've looked at a variety of issues that have become very complicated in our culture. Many of those issues that we've looked at so far kind of have a moral nature to them, a moral sound to them. And so today we come to an issue, that, how, how did this end up in here? And, and the topic today is money. But folks, this is a moral issue and it is a very complicated issue. Our goal in this series was to not only address the things that we're hearing on the news and that are going on in the culture, but things that are going on in our home. And for so many, this has become a very complicated issue. And I thought this morning, maybe to get it started off, we would start with a little bit of a an expert word, an expert opinion. So I've asked Gary Wood to come today. Gary is the uh, president and the... Y- y'all clap for him. That's good. Yeah. He is, the, uh, he is the president and the chief uh, investment officer for BDC Capital Management, which is a biblically-based uh, company. He's been involved in that company uh, for, for 20, over 20 years, been involved in, in investment and finances for over 30. The way I got to know Gary, uh, Gary is a resource partner for the SBC of Virginia. That, that means our state convention uses that company, uh, not only as a recommendation, but they... they Matter of fact, Gary actually manages the portfolio and the foundation uh, for our state convention. So with, with my working with the state convention the last couple of years, I've, I've gotten to know Gary and uh, does a tremendous job for them. And so I asked Gary, hey, you know what, you're, de- you're dealing with money all the time with people, with their lives, uh, with laws. Share with our congregation, what, what do you see is, is kind of going on in the financial world, whether it be as a nation or as a nation of individuals? So... There you go, Gary. Share with us. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, we're a nation that's really concerned about the future for our children and for our grandchildren. And that's been born out of uh, some st- steps that we see taken in Washington where we're really spending above our means. Uh, this, this latest uh, uh, thing in October where we had uh, votes on continuing resolutions and then votes on whether or not to raise the debt ceiling, Continuing resolution is a substitute term. We used to call those budgets. And we really haven't passed a budget in our Congress since 2009, if you can imagine that. And so the, the budget expired on September 30th, so we were talking about that. The debt ceiling expired in mid-October, and that was for $17 trillion. Anybody hear those numbers being thrown about a little bit? $17 trillion, it's like having a credit card and you know, government has a credit card and, and they haven't made a payment back for an increase in the credit line. But uh, they last increased that line in 2011. They're back in 2013 for an increase in the line. Now, what does that mean to all of us? How does that translate? Now, $17 trillion divided by roughly 308 million Americans 
means that for every man, woman, and child in our country, our share, their share, is $55,000. Now, that's just the tip of the iceberg. What we're really dealing with are the unfunded liabilities as well of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and so forth. And those payments by conservative estimates alone would total about $100 million. So $117 million, $117 trillion divided by the, every man, woman, and child in America leaves us with a debt load of $380,000 per person. So it's getting to where it's serious money and we don't really seem to have the drive in Congress to really address these. And this is causing all of us concerns. But it really, it starts with us, and we're, I'm glad we're talking about this here today at church, and uh, really goes to the heart of a, of a passage of scripture that really the Lord keeps before me in our practice these days. And that is that Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. He said, because they were distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said, behold, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. Into his harvest. I want to make sure that I'm not talking about my harvest when it comes to that, that topic. And that um, we, they'll do, we bring money under God's control so that we're available both from the standpoint of financial resources, but more importantly for the relationships, a relationship with the Father and a relationship with our family and those folks that the Lord puts in our path to minister to. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Thank you, Gary. And Gary is going to be back up. Yeah, thank him. He's going to be back up in just a moment and sharing a little bit about a, a class that we're going to be offering this afternoon. You know, folks, it's interesting. We've been through two, well, a couple of major financial crises in America, and, and we survived them, right? We got it worked out. No, did you know that nothing was fixed? What, what caused the, the dot-com bubble and explosion? What caused the housing bubble and explosion? Nothing was fixed. Everything that was wrong is, is still in place, plus other things that are coming. So this is a very complicated issue, how we work through this individually in a, in a course as a nation. And I know probably a lot of us feel like, well, I can't have any impact on the nation. Folks, the nation is individuals. The, 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 the Congress, the White House are not doing anything that's not being done in the average home in America today. You know, we, I would imagine in the room today, we've got some folks that feel... You know, pretty confident, confident of their, their financial status, their earning power, their, their ability to manage finances. I would imagine we've got quite a few folks that, that feel somewhat south of the word confident. <laughs> you know, confident's not necessarily the word that they would use today and everything in between. But you know, when you study Americans, when you do surveys of Americans on money, and this is why I added it to this series, do you know it doesn't matter how much money they make? They might be millionaires or 50,000 heirs. Whatever they're making, they communicate in surveys the exact same emotions. The average American today feels ill-prepared. And you don't, you don't feel good about life when you're, when you're not ready for what is coming. And the average American feels ill-prepared in their finances for what is coming around the corner, whether it just be in their own life or what is happening in the nation. Another word you see commonly communicated in surveys, the average American is stressed. The great majority of Americans are stressed on money. Money is the number one thing we talk about in the home. It's the number one thing we fight about in the home. It's the number one thing we worry about in the home. That's complicated, isn't it? 
That, that's what's going on in the home. And, and then you add to that kind of what we've discussed here. The average American's angry. They're angry about what, what Congress, what our government is doing with money. And yet, like I just said, what are they doing differently than the average Americans? And the American way has nothing to do with what we have. I don't need money to do this. If we don't have the money, we just, the government just prints money. We just pull out the credit card. And folks, we have moved further and further away from God's principles. Now, I don't expect the world to be operating by and going by God's principles for money, but, but we should, shouldn't we? And, and just like we've done in past weeks on various issues, we're going to look at what does God say about this and, and, and just let him speak because he speaks a lot about this. And folks, his way works. So what I want to look at today is six principles for managing our finances. There are not only six principles in Scripture. There's six, kind of a sampling of what God has to say and folks, in all of these, you see where how individually, as we've moved away from these principles, our nation has moved away from these principles. So let's look at what these six things are. Our first principle today is to guard against money being your God and your love. There probably is no greater God in America than money. Sex would be right there at it at a second close. But I think the, the greatest false God in America is money. God says, guard against money being your God and your love. Jesus said in Luke, you cannot serve God money. You can't do both. You, you, you can't love both of them. You can't be giving your lives to both of them. Paul said in 1 Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, notice wander away from the faith. This passage isn't talking to the unbelieving world. It, it, it's talking to believers. Now, I want you to notice something this passage does not say. This passage does not say money is evil. It doesn't say having money is evil. It doesn't say using or even enjoying money is evil. It says the craving for it, the desire for it, when, when it begins to shape and direct your life. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a guess here that most of us in this room, when we read either one of these two verses, we dismiss ourselves from that. We read these verses, that's not my problem. I don't, I don't bow to money. I don't worship money. Oh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I guess I've seen people who are going after money and they make, do bad things. But I don't, I don't do that. Folks, I'd like to suggest that God did not give these verses because a couple of us might struggle with it. He gave these verses, he gave this warning because all of us struggle with it. All of us struggle with believing more money is the answer. And because we believe more money is the answer, that's what we begin to pursue and shape and direct our lives around. It becomes a God. It becomes our love. It is impossible to make good and right financial decisions if we're not in tune with where our heart is on money. So don't, I'm not saying every one of you does. I'm saying be careful not to just quickly dismiss yourself. That, that, those verses aren't an issue for me. I would encourage you, take those verses home. Sit down with God and ask Him, Lord, is, do, I need to, do I need to let you speak to me? Do I need you to, to, to do some guiding and some directing and what my attitudes are about money? And listen to Him talk. Maybe talk with your mate if you're married about that. Or here's a tough one. I don't know if I suggest this or not. It's kind of uncomfortable. Ask your kids. Ask your kids what they think your view of money is. And they'll tell you what they see and what they hear. 
Because folks, we are communicating what money is to us, whether we think we are or not. God says, hey, listen, if we're going to do anything right in this, you've got to make sure you're guarding against it becoming your love and your God. Second thing, second principle that God says is we are to acknowledge that God is the owner and we are to be faithful managers. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the fullness thereof is a fancy way of saying and everything in it. Everything on this planet belongs to God, folks. And then, and then the next passage kind of brings it down and narrows it down and just makes it real clear. Also, we're including money. God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, as we've been going through this series, we've said, you know, God has spoken to all these things. It's not, uh, it's not complicated. It's not unclear. It's not confusing. God's very clear. When you look at that sentence, do you look at that and go... Gosh, I wonder what God means by that. (laughs) No, it's pretty clear. All money is His. Are we doing any management in light of that reality? Because, folks, that's our relationship with God. We're managers, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards, that's a word for manager, that they be found faithful. You see, God is the owner. The Bible says God owns everything. He not only owns the the rocks, the trees, the skies, the seas. He owns your house, your driveway, your car, your body. He owns the air you breathe. He owns everything. And that puts us in a relationship with him as managers. Now, it's real important to understand the owner-manager relationship because managers give an account to owner. Managers don't set the pace. They don't set the course. The owner does that. Managers don't set the principles. The owner does that. And managers give an account for how the principles were laid out. In other words, folks, if if God's the owner and we're managers, then as we go through this message today, we can't go home and say, you know, principle one and two and four, man, those were dead on. I really like those. I'm going to try to use those in my life. Three, five, and six, I didn't care that much for You know, we're not in a position to pick and choose what we like, what we don't like, what we think we can do, what we don't think we can do. God's the owner, and he gets to say that, and we get to respond. We get to do what he said. We are to be faithful stewards. When you go to 1 Corinthians 4, 2, you'll find out that's not even a money passage. But this concept of stewardship is found all the way through scriptures. This is our relationship with God. Here again, we cannot make a good financial decision. We can't go in good financial directions if we're not even clear on whose money this is. Now, because it's God's money, he actually says, now there is something I want you to do with it. The first thing, Proverbs 3.10, the first thing I want you to do with the paycheck is I want you to give 10% of the income to his church. 10%. 10%. See, he gets to say that. Have you ever wondered, you ever thought, man, I have so little. God's supposed to have everything, right? Why does he need my, see, that's our first problem. We always say, why does he need my money? Why doesn't he fund it with his own money? Guess what? He is funding everything with his own money. Just because it's sitting in my pocket doesn't mean it's his. And the owner says, listen, I have given you this money. And he gives us all different amounts. Sometimes it's easy to wish for more, isn't it? God, why don't you give me more? You know what you should hear God say sometimes? You know, that just means I'm going to hold you accountable for more. You know, say, sometimes more is not always the best thing. So God gives us all different amounts. He says, listen, I want you all doing the same thing. The first 10%, I want you to fund what I'm doing with my money 
in this world. He says in Matthew, this is Jesus, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know, grammar is important, isn't it? It's important we learn grammar because that apostrophe S, that's a big deal, isn't it? You see, it's God's money. You're not giving God a gift. What we just did in in passing the plate there and we put that money in, we put that tithe in, when we give that to God, it's not a gift. We're giving him what is his. We're doing with it what he said to do with his money. You know, every now and then on a daily basis, I have a child come to me and say, I need money for this thing, this event. We've got to pay for this. I always say, we've got to pay for this. And by we, I mean you, Dad. And so at times it's a cash type of thing and I'll give them the money and I'll always say, bring me back the, the change. Do you know when they bring back that change, and that's a hope and a prayer. Uh, when they bring back that change, you know what? I don't ever send a thank you note for that. I don't say thank you for them return. It's my money. <laughs> They're just bringing back to me what I gave them the ability to do. It's, the, it's mine to begin with. Well, folks, that's kind of the same way it operates here. Jesus uses this comparison. He knows we all deal with government. Isn't that interesting? Nothing changes. They're talking about taxes and government, what government's doing with money back then in the midst of that. Jesus says, you know, just as the government is able to call for a certain amount of money, and they declare it to be theirs, don't they? You can say, hey, it was my blood, sweat, and tears. It was my hard work that did this. Yeah, try that in a court of law. No, I didn't pay my taxes because it was my hard work. That'll work well for you, and you'll get free meals and a free room and board for the rest of your, well, for a long time. But anyway, yeah, the government gets to say, this is our money. You're responsible for turning it in. But Jesus actually says, just as the government declares an amount and you're responsible for paying it, he says, in the same way, God has declared an amount, and you are responsible for turning that in. And the only way you can answer that, how much is the amount? The only way you can answer that is with the word tithe. That's the only way. I mean, there is a determined amount set by God that demands the question, how much? And the only way the scripture answers that is with the word tithe. Tithe is a Hebrew word that means 10%. We actually, the Bible talks about giving above and beyond that. So the 10% is not a, a super goal. You know, boy, when I'm really strong in the Lord and when I've got more money that I know what to do with and everything's covered in life, then I'll get up to 10%. No, it's the starting point. It, it, it's the bare minimum. This is the first principle of what we do with our money. And God says in Malachi 3.10, kind of a hard passage to read. Malachi 3.10 says, when you don't give the tithes and the offerings... Now, there, there's a passage that says it's not just about the 10%. It, it's going to be more than the 10%. When you don't give that, you rob God. You're stealing from me. Now, I want you to think about, we've, we've heard two of our three principles. We've heard God is an owner. We've heard the owner has said to bring 10%, and if you don't do that, you're robbing him. Now, I want you to imagine that you are the owner of a company. Congratulations. And your company is doing well and you've hired some managers. And in the office, you've got one of those super technological secret hidden cameras. And it's on the safe. And every single week, you watch one of your managers steal from the safe. Now, there's already a problem with my story because you're not going to watch a manager steal from your safe every week, are you? No, you're going to fire that manager, if not have them arrested. But for whatever reason, let's say you don't fire or have them arrested, and you watch this manager steal from the safe every single week. And then one day you're in your office and you get that 
knock on the door, and the guy comes in and says, Boss, man, I've really been doing the best I can, and I, I, need, to, I need a raise. Well, what's your attitude going to be about that raise? What, what are you going to say as an owner? And yet, folks, I wonder, what does it sound like to God? You know, it depends on the statistic that you go by. I've seen it as low as eight. I've seen it most of the time as high. I mean, as low as six, most of the time as high as eight. And you say six and eight, what? Eight out of 10 believers, eight out of 10 churchgoers do not give a tithe. As a matter of fact, the average gift in America of a believer is less than 2%. Eight out of 10 are robbing God. And so now imagine that 8 out of 10 going in prayer this very day. Maybe they sat in the church and uttered this prayer. Maybe it's when they climb into bed tonight and they're going to say, God, please help me to pay these bills. God, please give me a raise. Please give me a job, a better job, a a new job. Please help this to happen. How does God not say, you're stealing from me as it is. You're not being faithful with what I've given. And now you want me to give you more You see, folks, sometimes it's God's mercy. He says, no, I'm not going to give you more because you'll just be in trouble with more. We can't rob God and then turn around and ask him, give me more. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we buy answers to prayers. Remember, buying implies that I have something and I'm going to give it to you in exchange for something else. You don't have anything to give God. You've got nothing to give him that says, hey, God, in exchange for an answer to this prayer, I'll try this tithing thing Sunday. It's his. It's not a gift. There's a lot of things we do when we give. We show love. We show faith. It's an act of worship. But a big thing is we're acknowledging our faith and our belief. He is the owner. But did you know that giving is actually not the only thing that God says about finances? God sets other priorities for our finances and has just as strong a words on those. God wants us to be faithful to, in our financial decisions to prioritize paying our bills and providing for our family. First Timothy 5, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, who's got a relative they don't want to provide for? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially, obviously, the members of our own house... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Yeah, hey, folks, God wants us to provide for our households, okay? Everything God says in the Bible isn't about give me your money, give me your money. No, he's given you the money and he's given you a priority list of what you're to do. Proverbs 3.10, first thing you do with the paycheck, bring the tithe. Second thing you do with the paycheck is you make sure your home and your family is provided for, normally defined in the Bible as food and shelter and clothing. Now, I know as an average American, we got a whole lot more needs than food and shelter and clothing. But that's what God defines as providing for your family. Also, paying our bills, Proverbs, or Psalm 37, 21, an equally challenging verse. The wicked, it's the wicked people who borrow and don't pay back. And folks, don't think of borrowing as just going to a bank and we borrow money. That's borrowing, obviously. We borrow electricity for a month, don't we? And at the end of every month, they send us a little note that says, hey, here's what you get to send us for borrowing our electricity. And we borrow gas and we borrow a car for four years, five years, six years. And, you know, and again, we, we pay that off. Folks, God wants us to pay off our bills. So here's how this works. He's giving us priorities here in this list. So I get a paycheck. God says, first thing you do, put the 10% into my house for funding my work around this world. Second thing you do, pull out what you need to provide for your family and to pay your bills. And after you get past that, 
And there are other things to do. There are other things to enjoy with our money. But as you do that, don't ever make a financial decision that in any way threatens your ability to take care of the top priorities. And folks, that's exactly what we've done in the United States. We come down here and we live for priorities way down the... I'm paying for priority 21 and priority 25 and priority 37. But we're not just paying for lower priorities. We take the whole list of priorities and I don't just want to fund them. I want to fund bigger and better and more with those priorities. It's a constant progress of, or a constant drive for, for bigger, better and more. And then all of a sudden we get to this place. Oh no, I can't take... I can't take care of number one. I can't take care of number two. We're living in America upside down. That's the new economic term in America. We're upside down. My house is worth less than what I owe for it. My car is worth less than what I owe for it. My whole life is worth less than what I owe for it. Folks, you know what? I I doubt any of us in here by ourselves caused the housing bubble. But folks, it's the mentality that's being lived inside of every home that is causing what's going on all across America. Now, you and I can't anticipate the unbelievers going to fix this, that the, the unbelievers going to conform their life to God's word and his financial principles, but that's where it begins with us, okay? We, we live by God's priorities, and it'll be easier to live by those priorities. It'll be easier to manage if we can pick up principle number five, and that is to manage with a goal of being content. Man, if we're anything in America, it's discontent. Happiness is always in more and bigger and better. But godliness with contentment is such a great gain. You don't know what you do for your life when you learn the secret of being content. And you know, you'll, you'll learn to make that a goal the moment you can realize you brought nothing into the world and you're not going to take anything out of the world. Did you know that came out of the Bible? It wasn't Bill Cosby who said that. <laughs> God said that. You brought nothing in, you're taking nothing out. It's not about the stuff. Look at this next verse. Folks, Philippians 4.13. I wish I could cover up these other verses. Philippians 4.13, that's one of our favorite memory verses, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, I can run touchdowns and I can lead meetings and I can be this and I can do that. Did you know that Philippians 4.13 is a financial verse? When you put it in its context, back beginning in verse 11, Paul says, you know what? I've learned this. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. I'd like to sign up for that. (laughs) I've learned the secret of having plenty. And I've learned the secret of hunger, of abundance and need. I can do, do you see it now? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, you know, here's the secret to life. For a long time, I was living under the idea that more money meant more life. More money meant more peace. More money meant more strength. Man, money doesn't fix any of that. Because no matter how much you get, there's always more to get. I found it is Christ that does that. And that's why in Philippians 3.10, he says, you know what I want more of? I want more of Jesus. Not necessarily more money. It's not money that enables me to be and do what I am to be and do under my owner, my king, my Lord, and my savior, God. It's not money that enables that, it's God. Now, what does this mean? It means that you and I set some goals for contentment. You know, you might set that for a year, 
You might, you might set that over the course of two or three years where you say, you know what? Okay, here's what we believe under God that we've been called to do. You do that tithe, fund college, obviously pay our bills, pay, pay off the, what we owe. Okay, here's the things we need to do. But you know what? After we accomplish that, what are we going to do next? Do you know in America, if you, get a, if you get a big check for your birthday, if you get the big windfall, you know what that means for an American? More! We can take a bigger vacation. We can go more places. We can do more things. What if we said, hey, you know what? Once we meet our goals here, anything above that that comes in, we're going to give away more. We're just going to use it to bless people. Maybe we're going to kind of try to keep an eye for people who have a a need, for people who are hurting, and how we can maybe bless them in an ongoing way, maybe a one-time way. You know, boy, we saw these people come down here a moment ago that we prayed for. You know, folks, we fund a lot of mission efforts. These people paid a lot of money to go on those trips. They didn't pay the whole cost. You've partly done that. Through our giving, we're funding people carrying the gospel around the world. Now, I'm not talking about, boy, when you meet all your goals, then you pay your tithe. No, the tithe's a part of the regular monthly budget. But then when we meet those goals, we look at opportunity to give more away. I'm not saying you can't go on a better vacation or get something nice ever again. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, do we always think more money means more stuff? Or are we thinking about how we manage with eternity in mind? Because we leave all the stuff here. But anything we give goes ahead of us. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm watching y'all. I'm telling you something. You really need to start thinking about putting some of that in heaven. Because that's where you're going to be for all eternity. So we set that goal. And it wouldn't be the same amount for all of us. I I wouldn't suggest we should all be content at this level. No, there's not one level. It's going to be different for all of us. It's going to be the level that we feel comfortable being accountable to God for. Last principle, number six. Build wealth through work and planning. That used to be the American way. I think for for a long, 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 long time in our history, that's what Americans thought, believer and unbeliever alike. Okay? I I don't think this is our mentality at all anymore. God says in 2 Thessalonians, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah, and these verses are pretty straightforward, aren't they? Not a lot to figure. I wonder what God meant on that. Let me fill that in. Hey, you know what? If you don't work, you don't eat, and I'm not going to feel that bad about it. Folks, God's plan for people is to work. Go back to the top ten. Remember the Ten Commandments? It says in their work, six days, seventh day rest. Six days were to work. Now, that work is not just about punching a clock. Work is what we do for a living. Work is what we do to to, to manage a household, to take care of the yard, to run all of our chores. It's the work of life, the work of providing for and, and managing a life. We are to work, rest on the seventh day. But God's plan for us is work. Look what else he says in Proverbs. The plans of the diligent. What, what does diligence mean? Diligence is working. It's managing. It's planning. It usually has the concept of being wise about it, being smart about it. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who's hasty, everyone who's after a get-rich-quick scheme comes to poverty. You know, it's amazing when you read the stories of people who win the lottery, who come into that big inheritance... Not only did they get rich quick, most of them get ruined even quicker. That's not not God's plan. It doesn't work. He knows how we are and we don't do well with that. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work. I want you to plan. I want you to be smart and manage according to my principles. Folks, we we, we have a growing economy in America that doesn't want to work. They just want to be provided for. Somebody owes me something. 
We've got another big growing economy. How do I get rich quick? Man, where's the big insurance payoff? Where's the lottery? Where's the big inheritance? How can I get a load of money so I can stop what? Working. How can I, how can I get money in a way that God has said not to get it? So that I can stop doing what God has said to do. That has become the American philosophy of wealth. And we wonder why we're going where we're going. We wonder why what is happening is happening in our country. Folks, God gives us his words. Even that part about giving. Everything God says to us is for our good. It's for our will. But you don't have anything that God needs. He's not trying to get something from you. Every principle he gives in scripture is for your life. It's for your good. It's for your well-being. Now, think about that statement and let me pull all these topics together. Kind of summarize where we've been in the last five or six weeks. Folks, the idea is, is that as you and I read God's word and we conform our life to God's word. We let God's word shape us and direct us in our marriage with, with, with people, with people of other races and nationalities, with money. As we let God shape us, guess what? Life begins to work. I didn't say we don't have hard times because God's got answers for hard times. I'm saying our life begins to work. There becomes a beauty a simplicity, a functionality about it. And you know what happens? People start asking you, how do y'all have what you have in your marriage? Man, I noticed how you manage your, your resources. I didn't say you were wealthy. I just noticed how you manage what you have. And folks, our life becomes a lure. People will notice. And you've instantly got an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus. You instantly have an opportunity to, to focus people on the beauty of God's word. But when you and I say, no, I'm not so sure God is the owner of everything. I think I own it. No, I, I, I don't think I have to give. That's stupid. I, I, don't have, I don't have enough money right now. Why am I, how am I going to come up 10 more percent? I'm not going to do it. When you and I choose to disobey God, some profoundly awful things happen. One, we join the world in the complexity and the stress. We, we become just like them, which leads to the second thing that is just awful. None of us wants to do it, and I think on some level we all have. We literally hide God's word from the world. Because, see, they know I'm a believer. They know I read the Bible and I believe in the Bible. But then they watch my, my marriage and they watch the way I handle finances. And, and pretty soon they're saying, well, you're no different than anybody else. You're doing the same thing everybody else is. You have all the same problems as everybody else. So clearly the word of God has no direction there. And you and I say, oh, no, 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 the Word of God has all the answers. But our life is hidden that. Our life is hidden that by our, our own disobedience. Folks, it's not the unbelieving world that's going to pick these principles up and make them work and lead our nation in a new direction. It's, it's the church, it's believers that have to do that. Now, now folks, I, I, you know, I believe we are, we are a church that I do believe follows God's Word, that lets God's Word shape it. And in this series, as I've said, I wanted to address issues, issues that we're hearing on the news, issues that our kids are talking about, issues where we wonder how do we respond. A big part of that is money that's inside our homes, and we want to offer help. And, and so not only did I want to speak to issues in this series, but I wanted to provide help for those issues. And that's what we're seeking to do uh, this afternoon. We're offering two classes. And, and I want you to think about these classes in two ways. One, there's I need those classes. 
three ways. Two, there is I'm doing fine, but maybe I could maybe I could be a more faithful steward. Maybe I could be better at this. Maybe I need to learn more of what God does say. Or three, I'm doing what God says. I'm very good with my finances and feel comfortable with it. But let me ask you something. Every one of us in here has family and friends around us that are struggling in finances. Do you know how to communicate where resources are, where help is? And do you know how to communicate God's principles? So see, these classes are for everybody. We can all move forward and understand this. Let me tell you real quickly, Bob and and Gary, come back up here. Uh, Of course, you've already met Gary Wood. Bob Hicks is a longtime member uh, of our church and has for most of that time been teaching a class here in our church that we call Crown Financial Money Management. And uh, not only in teaching that, but on his own, he went with that ministry and got certified as a counselor uh, in that. And so you'll notice in the bulletin, we're offering two classes. These guys will be leading them. And we're, both, we're offering both twice. And, and I want to say this, and, and I, I want you to appreciate what they've done. We don't need to offer them twice. We could offer them once, and then you go to the next class. But I wanted to make sure that no matter what hour you could get here, you'd have a chance at either one. Or if you came to both, it didn't even matter what order you went in. You could get to both of them. And these guys have given up uh, not only all morning to come up here and do this, but they've given up their afternoons to, to help us. And they are providing some really good things. Let me take one minute and share with each of them. If you come back this afternoon, this is what you'll get in the classes. Go ahead. We're going to talk about the how of saving and investing. Uh, we learn a lot about the what and why, but the how to get there. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about five biblical precepts that can help you be a successful saver and provider for your family. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the market next year uh, as a midterm election, unique things going on there. We'll talk a little bit about that. And the most important part, I think, of it will be your questions. We look forward to that, you sharing. You will be speaking to somebody else's need, but we look forward to feeling those questions and and to helping you as we can uh, with the answers there. So come on. And Gary, I know I've I've sat there and said, I don't have anything to save and invest. There, there's, there's help there too. You, 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 yes. you, the people, this class is not just for people that are sitting around on a, you know, a couple hundred grand and don't know what to do with it, right? Absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you. And uh, Bob, tell us what's going to happen in your class this afternoon. Okay, God, uh, as Randy has told us, does expect us to be good uh, stewards of the money he's given us. And stewardship doesn't just occur by accident. It takes goals. It takes planning. It takes discipline, and it takes sacrifice of some of our wants. Now, we just talked about developing how do we get money to save or how do we uh, get money to invest. Well, that goes back to the plan. You've got to look at how you're spending your money, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you tools on, one, how to account for your, your spending as well as develop that spending plan to help you spend and have money to save. So we're going to also, I have a, a Julie Camus, who goes to our church as well, works for one of those evil credit card companies. And what she's going to do is she's going to talk about credit cards, how what they're trying to do as far as entice you into spending money, and she's going to talk about how to pay down debt. You know, debt enslaves us. And to pay off that debt requires, really gives us a sense of well-being and confidence to face the fear that we're going to that many of us feel now. So that's what we plan to do this afternoon in that hour and 
15 minutes. Okay, so we've got one class that's about saving and investing, hopefully beginning to, to deal with that emotion of being ill-prepared. Another class, how do I make this monthly check work? do what it's supposed to do, and, and take on debt. And uh, guys, would you all just thank them for the time they're giving us today, uh, what they're doing for our church. And um, I've not done this at any of the other two services, but would you all be out in the concourse just standing around? And if you all have any questions about the classes or what's going on, uh, they'll be out there afterwards. So thank you guys. Appreciate you all being here today and doing that for us. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we just come before you, and Lord, we want our lives to acknowledge you as the owner. Oh, the owner of everything, God, our good days, our bad days, our health, our lack of health, our finances, our lack of finances, our friends, our lack of friends. God, everything we're experiencing, everything we're going through, we want to live that in a way that, that acknowledges you, that shows our faithfulness to you. And Lord, this area of money is such a big thing for every one of us, for every, every American, Lord. And uh, I, I feel like, Lord, probably a lot of us, we've gotten trapped into some ways of thinking that just is kind of the American DNA of handling finances. And Lord, we, we want to live by your principles. We want to know your principles. We want to become better at your principles. We will learn to share those principles. So Lord, help us to do that. I pray you'll, you'll bless this afternoon. You'll use it in a great way. I pray there'll be a great crowd there and uh, a lot of homes will be encouraged and aided by that. Lord, as we leave here today, Help us to realize my life has a chance to lure people to the Word of God, to lure people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help me to realize only one word makes that possible, obedience. I need to be obedient to what God has said because I trust Him and because He's the owner. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.